February 26, Archaeological exhibit. I have a great feeling whenever I go into a museum or you know see anything on television where it shows archaeological exhibits that there possibly go I. No, I mean let's face it. Uh, you know your average Incan, for example, uh, had no idea that one day twenty-six thousand Cub Scouts would line up every afternoon. To look at his shoe, <laughs> you know, I mean, no conceivable way he would know this, and that uh, we will be the archaeological exhibit of the future. I mean, that is an absolute fact. I mean, if they continue to have archaeology, you know what archaeology is, you know, of course, you know what archaeology is, the study of arches, right? Uh, I mean, all right, <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> That's rotten. Okay, all right. All right. Okay. Come on. I'll stop it. At ease, troops. Come on. Relax. Okay. Now, <laughs> you see how easily I, I, I lost myself up. In fact, I want to tell you, uh, George Ade, a great American humorist, is one of, to me, one of his great uh, morals at the end of one of his uh, fables was, and I quote, it may very well fit your life. If you wish to get ahead in this life, Keep a straight face, if possible. Which means, if you find yourself laughing at the wrong time, you will never get anywhere. Have you noticed that the actor who rarely ever smiles is always a success? Charles Bronson has never smiled in any movie. You can't imagine Clint Eastwood smiling. I mean, if he would his ears, it'd probably crack. And, uh, really... <laughs> And the the, le, uh, the least smiling of candidates will almost always be accepted as the most somber and the most serious of politicians. That's a fact. I mean, in spite of the fact that generally uh, a somber, straight face often is a thin mask for a deposit of helium gas. Okay? <laughs> I mean... Just that it hasn't escaped yet. But nevertheless, uh, the other day, Sam, I love to read the New York Times. You know, they have all these little items way in the back that are really earth-shaking. The little items that, that really talk about the history of the world. Of, like one day I'm reading the Times, and uh, I'm, I'm working my way back towards the crossword puzzle, you know, which is way back uh, among the truss ads and the little, you know, the little ads in the back of the paper is the crossword puzzle. And right above it, it says, uh, scientists, 
discovers seven-eighths of the solar system missing. What a boggling, mind-boggling disclosure, you know. <laughs> so I never have never heard any more about it. It says seven-eighths of the solar system is missing. Missing from what? Where did it go? I mean, could we be next? I mean, if something is eating the solar system, I want to know about it. I'll tell you this. It's going to affect all my saving habits and everything else. If something's eating the solar system, the hell is saving dough. I'm going to go out and throw it around. You know? <laughs> all right, I mean, that's... I want to know about these things. That's real news. Well, the other day, in the back, of the, way back there in the rubble of the times, you know, back there where it says a new drug study started at the University of Pittsburgh, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, way back there, there's a little item. It says uh, this archaeologist digging somewhere in Libya or someplace or Egypt. He came across this very, very controversial find. He discovered the foundation. Now, he didn't discover the whole thing. He discovered the foundation of a temple of a controversial pharaoh. Did you know that there were controversial pharaohs? I mean, even among pharaohs. I'm not talking about, you know, bad pharaohs. I'm talking about controversial pharaohs. And this was a controversial pharaoh of his day. Now, if you, you know, want to know, I'll tell you what the story was, why he was controversial. He existed about, though, roughly 1400 B.C. About then. That's pretty fair time back. And uh, what happened was, when he came on a scene, all the Egyptians believed in like 26,000 different types of gods, including ones with rhinoceros heads, uh, ones with cat heads, ones with clawed feet, uh, gods that had wings on them. And, uh, you know, there were all kinds of gods, right? River gods, catfish gods, every kind of god. Well, this guy came along and said, no, there's only one. And we're going to build eight temples to this god. Okay. Now, he's an obscure pharaoh because of what he did. He then went out and built these eight temples. Well, it was fantastically controversial because all these priests around there, you know, one priest was in charge of the cat god, another priest was in charge of the rhinoceros god, and another priest was in charge of the god with the clawed feet. Another one was in charge of the, of, the, of the god that had the big wings growing out of its head, the one that came out of the sun, and uh, all these different gods. See, well, they really flipped because he put them out of business, just like that. He says, nope, we do not believe in the cat god. We do, <laughs> you know. Well, at that point, there was hell to pay, if I may use a later Christian expression, which they did not use at that time. Uh, there was certainly hell to pay. The fat was in the fire, if I may use an old Indiana expression. Indeed, uh, from that minute on, people gathered on the streets and yelled around there, you know, in, in Egypt. See, there was one group of people who said, oh, at last we've got a pharaoh that really knows where it's at, man. And then there was another crowd of people who said, look at this pharaoh. He's really lost up everything. I built my whole house to worship the cat god. And this guy, you see, so it was just bad news. Well, the inevitable happened. He got into fantastic trouble with a priest. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you this. This is not the kind of thing you tune in the radio for, is it, right? Fun and games you tune in for, right? You tune in to hear old Shepherd play his uh, juice harp and sing and tell you funny stories. You don't want to hear about pharaohs, do you? Okay, you're going to hear about pharaohs tonight. <laughs> I mean, as an old pharaoh freak. I'll tell you this. When you're a kid, I, I wonder how many of you, uh, you know, being ex-kids, 
got fascinated by Pharaoh, by, by Egypt at one time. I think every kid at one time really got fascinated by the whole idea of mummies. I mean, I, I uh, listen, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Mummy's Curse. And I don't know whether you ever saw The Mummy's Curse. You ever see that? When The Mummy came back, remember that mummy? Fantastic mummy. I could make an, you know, just a, the worst kind of pun uh, about the word mummy, and I'm not going to do it. And certainly not. Uh, <laughs> I just keep thinking about it. You know, I like rotten puns. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the idea of, of, of Egypt always has fascinated kids. Now, you grow out of that. After a while, you just, you know, think about Egypt anymore. You read about it once in the Times. It's always part of a, some kind of a new big Near East war or something. But the real, you know, where, where Egypt really is, is uh, when they were, uh, for example, riding around in those barges. You ever read about the barges they had? And the, oh, fantastic barges. I mean, 7,000 slaves, you know, with the big fans and the peacock feathers and the guys with those funny hats with the big gold birds on the front. Wow, but talk about style. I mean, that was style. I mean, they re- and, and they'd stand a funny way even. You notice that with the hands out like that? <laughs> Their feet straight like that? It was like Jackie Gleason just running off stage. You know, I suppose his hands out like that. I mean, you know, they they had style all the way down the line. And they, they wore those great-looking sandals. And it was nothing at all for Pharaoh to come to a, a meeting of the uh, high council with uh, two giant lions on uh, chains, golden chains, my friend. Yeah, he'd bring them in. He's pets, you know. What do we have today? I mean, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it be just great once to have a, a president that had as a pet a Burmese tiger, and 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 he came up the Potomac uh, to Washington in a golden barge. I mean, you could not help. I mean, even Senator Henry Jackson would have to admit that guy had something going for him. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, a business suit. I mean, I, 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 uh, the ancient, uh, the ancient leaders. Have you noticed that all, almost all, the world's dictators? I mean, the ones that that have 28 million people screaming in front of a balcony, all wear a special uniform, different from the rest of the people. I mean, it 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 signifies their specialness, their anointed, right? And the more gold you can put out on your hat, you know, all this, all that scrambled egg stuff and all that, the more the people will flip over it. It's just a fact. I mean, I would like to say no, but it is not so. It is, it is that, uh, that the, the generals uh, and the, the people with, uh, with great stylish uniforms, they say something. I don't know quite what it is, but they do. And the pharaohs, of course, would have a robe, for example, you know, if uh, any of you read a all the stuff they discovered in King Tut's tomb and a lot of the stuff that still remains. It was not at all uncommon for a pharaoh to have a robe made entirely out of finely spun threads of beaten gold. That's gone. First class. It really is. And, and it, what, what would it be lined with? Well, it would be lined with mockingbird down. <laughs> Try ordering that from Sears, buddy. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you arrive on the scene wearing something like that, and you wear a big 
gold hat. See, it's it's got a, and you've seen their hats, you know, with the with the big bird coming out of the top, with the uh, uh, lapis lazuli eyes, those uh, blue uh, amethyst eyes and stuff. Wow, man. Well, anyway, this pharaoh was in terrible trouble because he built these a temple. Okay. Now. The next pharaoh who came along, by the way, this pharaoh had a very short, mysteriously short life. History does not know why his reign was suddenly stopped so quickly with not much recorded on why. It just says one day he wasn't pharaoh anymore, and he wasn't even among us. He went to join that god that uh, he believed in. The god, by the way, was Aton. A-T-O-N. You know about that god? There is a resurgence in the world of belief in him, you know. Did you know that? Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, any madness that the world once was capable of, it's capable of again. Uh, so don't you forget it, buddy. Which reminds me, this is W.O.R. New York. We'll let that settle in there. Uh, the, the god that he went for was Aton, A-T-O-N. And it was part of his name, the pharaoh's name, you see, because he was related to Aton, which was the god uh, that uh, he believed in. And he was a direct descendant of that god. Uh, so he had an axe to grind. So if all of you think, gee, that sounds like a really groovy pharaoh there, he's getting rid of all that, uh, all that bunk, you know, of all this stuff. He had, I know, he had, he, had a, he had an axe to grind. And the axe was that he was merely plumping for one of his relatives, Aton. His name was Ink-Ha-Aton. Would you like to say that again? Ink-Ha-Aton. I-H-N-K, I-H-A, with a little umlaut over it, I-H-A-T-A-N, right, okay, <laughs> George, you're getting culture here tonight, aren't you, friends, uh, speaking of culture, talk about our concurrent modern culture, we'll lay a few of these commercial goodies on you, and we'll be right back with another visit to antiquity, okay, friends, I-H-A-T-A-N, friends, uh, well, how, all right, now, wait a minute. When you when people walk around and they say, King Tut, that wasn't his name. What was his name? Tut, Ank, Ha, what? Right, you're almost there. Almost there. little nasal spray, you'll get it. Try it again. <laughs> all right, so King Tut, you know, he was part of the same line, but uh, this, this particular pharaoh had a very short life, controversial life. And so the next pharaoh who came to, uh, to power, who, by the way, also had in his last name, Aton, right? A-T-O-N. What was his name? I will tell you what his name was. Muha Ka Aton was the next pharaoh in line. And he's controversial because he <laughs> the first thing he did was to completely expunge the memory of the previous uh, heretical uh, subversive pharaoh. He says, we're going to go all back, folks. We're going to go back to the god with the, with the bird's beak. We're going back to the, uh, to the canary god. We're going to bring back the, the god with the cat's head. We're going to bring back the one with the clawed feet. All of those gods are back again, and we're going to get rid of the memory of that past pharaoh completely. So how did he do it? They burnt down every last one of his temples. Wherever his... his uh, his, uh, you know, wherever, any place where his name appeared on, let's say, on a pillar or a column, it said, Ink, Ha, Eitan. They just erased it. 
They just chopped away. Of course, actually, in those days, everything was made out of stone, right? And bronze. So it took a lot of erasing to get, <laughs> to get rid of a lot of that. So it's got a lot of stone cutters out doing it. And they finally wound up with absolutely, or so they thought, expunging completely the memory of Ank Aetan. Gone forever. Not quite. Not quite. Because there's a group of guys called Egyptologists. Who was one of the most eminent Egyptologists that you recall uh, as a kid? Now, wait a minute. Now, now wait, wait, wait. Fictional Egyptologist. Oh, here it comes. Who? C. Nalen Smith. Correct. Who was he? He was the deadly enemy of Dr. Fu Manchu. C. Nalen Smith was a famous Egyptologist of the old English professor school. You know, who said things like, Oh, my George, bless my button. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> no, actually, he didn't say that. What he, what he asked, that was another guy. Who said that all the time? Bless my buttons. Who was that? No, well, he did, but there was a comic strip character that says, <laughs> Bless my buttons. Dr. Hewer. Who? Dr. Hewer was the scientist in Buck Rogers. If you're going to know about your culture, you slob, you're going to have to know all the way. You can't fake it. Dr. Hewer. All right, and who was Buck Rogers' girlfriend? Who? Buck Rogers' girlfriend was Dale. <laughs> I can't believe such stupidness. That's like that's like telling me that Hamlet's girlfriend was Ophelia. Buck Rogers' girlfriend was girl. Why was Dale who? You mean to tell me you do not know of Wilma? <laughs> Wilma. <laughs> I mean, what a great inspired name for a girlfriend for a Superman, Wilma. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I'm sorry. We got off the subject here into our own uh, mythology here. And uh, no, that's, let's face it, that is a mythology. And, and we have to have mythology. I mean, uh, the world needs it. In fact, man has a great, great desire for mythology. And so anyway, they destroy every last castle or palace or, or, or temple or whatever it was he built. He built eight of them. And for centuries, Egyptologists have wondered about that, that, that uh, blank, that sudden blank that appears in the, in the uh, line of pharaohs. And it was Ink Aetan. He was a blank. Because all of his records were destroyed. But they knew he had existed because in later writings there would be very veiled references to him, that there was once this pharaoh. Well... The other day, a scientist, a Dr. Hewer or a C. Nalem Smith of our time, was grubbing around in the dust in a place where they thought it might possibly have occurred, and they discovered the foundation of one of his temples. Now, already the controversy has sprung up. Instantly. There are those who believe that it's a fake, <laughs> there are those who believe that it's authentic. And, of course, you find the Aton believers are still around in parts of Egypt. Oh, yes. Oh, don't, don't kid yourself. Religions do not die as easily as one thinks they do. Uh, in fact, if, if you go to certain parts of this country, they believe firmly, absolutely firmly, in saying, uh, 
witchcraft. Now, that is a form of religion. Do you agree with that? Uh, and so it does not die easily. Uh, in fact, it will persist. Probably have a comeback. Uh, have you ever been around, really, some of the off-the-wall religions? Really, uh, when you say off-the-wall, the, the, the splinter religions. I, I remember one time this family moved into our neighborhood. <laughs> I'll never forget this. You know, we had a neighborhood, just walking around the neighborhood, see? And at night, about every second or third night, their house would be lit up with red lights inside. And cars would come and quietly park out in front of their house, and people would walk in. And uh, they never had parties, but it was always dark. The house was dark. People would go in. And you'd see these red lights with curtains hanging, just faint red lights. And so, you know, being a kid, me and Schwartz and Flick, we'd creep around the house. Did you ever do any, any peeping tomming when you were a kid? Now, come on, admit it. Did you ever do any peeping tom? Right, all right, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so we would sneak around and look at people's houses. Now, uh, I suppose I shouldn't admit this, because it, it could very well cause a wave of this to start happening in Darien. But uh, when you, you know, it's a very exciting thing to go creeping through the bushes with four or five other guys and sneaking around and looking at people's houses. He would sneak up this house. Well, we, we, we crept up to this house a couple of times, and we couldn't see anything in there because they had these curtains. They had drapes. Just a faint red light in there. Well, one night, the curtain had about a quarter of an inch too much spacing in it, and me and Schwartz and Flick saw all these people. Must have been 20 of them sitting around a round table in the dining room with a red glowing light. And all our hands were out on the table. Just they were sitting like in a ring. And it was this lady who was laying back and she was going, ah! she was yelling, see? And above her head was a bugle hanging. What the? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you just didn't see stuff like that at our scout troop. Uh, <laughs> it was a wild scene. Well, anyway, it turns out in the neighborhood that the word got out that this group of spiritualists, now it was not, uh, they were, uh, as a religion, they were spiritualists. They moved into this neighborhood. And somewhere tonight, somebody is sitting around a table in a red light with a bugle. And the bugle is always supposed to be in contact with some Indian. Or uh, <laughs> they always have some guy that can, I am, I am flying pigeon on Indian. And I have contact with Abraham Lincoln. You know, that's, uh, that's what, you know, that kind of stuff. If you believe in it, you believe in it. So, you know, but if you believe in Aton, you can have trouble today in certain parts of Egypt. Now, if you believe, what was the name of a couple of the other gods? Come on, any of you work crossword puzzles, you know what the names are. Ra. R-A. Ra. What god was that? Sun god. Well, what was the god of Aton? Aton. Well, see, that, there's a lot of uh, haziness there. That was really the same God. See, the, uh, the same God kept appearing under different names. You know, it's, uh, it's just very difficult to define each one of those, but they all had... Then there were a lot of sub-gods under these. Okay, so I read this piece the other day. So I thought, oh, wow, this guy dug up this foundation. And now a worldwide controversy has started among Egyptologists as to the validity, the meaning of this foundation. We'll never know. Not really. 
but there will be a prevailing theory. Now, the other day, I also saw a piece where somebody found a rare bit of jewelry in Peru, which shows conclusively that there was a connection between Peru and the Easter Islands. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to tell you something that I, have, I don't think I've ever told on the air. How much time do I have for this revelation? This is a true revelation. I, myself, personally, one time, contributed to future archaeological misinformation. Would you please give me a little elegant archaeological future profundity music, please? As the great parchment pages of time slowly and inevitably ripple into winds of eternity. That again, oh, the parchment pages of time rippling in the winds of eternity. Hey, that's a nice image. Civilizations rise and civilizations fall. Some to disappear forever in the great abyss of nothingness and time. Others to persist like faint cold stores on the lips of existence. Well, it's really nice. You know, you don't get that kind of stuff on a Johnny Carson show, do you? <laughs> All right. The great mysteries remain largely unanswered. Why a bit of pottery found thousands of miles from the site why? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. I shouldn't have... I really shouldn't say this. But when I was a kid, I had this uncle. His name was Charles. Uncle Charles. Now, Uncle Charles was my traveling uncle. You know, everybody's got an uncle that's kind of a mysterious uncle who's always sort of on the outside of the family. He's always... Uh, every couple of years, he makes a quick visit through town on his way to some other mysterious place, and he's usually with a different lady every time he's seen. Correct? Usually described as, uh, this is your uh, uh, aunt. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay, well, my Uncle Charles was that type of uncle. The great thing about Uncle Charles, though, he traveled. He's always traveling, and he was a salesman of some kind. And as a kid, I didn't know. I just knew he was vaguely uh, distrusted by all the ants kind of, but all the kids dug him. He was fantastic because wherever he would go and whenever he would show up, he would have presents for us. He'd bring us stuff. And the great stuff that, you know, kids don't usually get really great presents. Uh, you know, not, not really imaginative stuff. Like a kid would like to have, many a kid would like to have an uncle that comes and gives him a thirty-eight. <laughs> that would be an exciting gift. I mean, it shouldn't have it, but it would, it would be an exciting thing to have somebody give you, see? Well, anyway, one day, Uncle Charles gave me a ring, which he got. He says that he got it way out in Arizona, and it was an Indian ring and an actual Indian ring, and it was silver. I still remember that ring because it was one of the great 
sorrows of my life as a kid, but it was a really beautiful silver ring. It was a thin silver ring, and it had, it was like beaten silver, and it had two crossed arrows on the front of it. Uh, kind of crossed, beaten, with little points. And he gave me this ring. I was really, you know, I was knocked out, man, because as a kid, you know, my idea of a ring was a comics uh, lucky horseshoe ring. You know, that kind of stuff. I had this great ring. Well, I kept that ring for two years. And wherever I went, you know, kids say, oh, wow, what a great ring. Yes, it's an Indian ring. My Uncle Charles gave it to me. It's the Indians. And it really was an Indian ring. The second summer, I am sitting in a rented rowboat in Cedar Lake in the heart of Michigan. By the way, there are over 700 Cedar Lakes in Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin. All lakes that are not named Cedar Lake are called Clear Lake. The one thing they ain't. Uh, if they're not named Clear Lake, they're called Rifle Lake. Those are the three names of all the lakes. So I'm sitting in this lake, in this rowboat, with my father. He's sitting at the other end. And we're sitting there fishing for bluegills in 60 feet of water. You know what a bluegill is? Great fish. You know, bluegill. Also called brim. And we're sitting there fishing for bluegills using crickets as bait. And all of a sudden, the old man says, come on, let's pull up the anchor. He says, you pull up the anchor, and we'll move maybe 40 feet over there, over by that tree. So I go to the end of the boat, and I'm pulling up the anchor, and it's a rope, see? And at the end of the rope, the anchor was five big sash weights. I'm pulling up like that, see? And I got this anchor coming up out of the mud. I'm about 13 years old, you know, muscular kid. I'm pulling this thing up. And all of a sudden, the rope just pulled my ring off and zap. And I saw my ring going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Deeper into the water. Sixty feet of water. And a thousand years from now, when that lake is dried up, some archaeologists will discover a silver ring of the Hopi Indians. And he will build an entire theory on it. There is a Hopi Indian ring lying in the mud at the bottom of a shallow lake in Michigan. How did it get there? The Smithsonian Magazine in a thousand years from now will have a learned article on the migration of the Hopi. At one time, they lived in southern Michigan and they moved across and the finding of a piece of rare jewelry of over a thousand years old proves this conclusively that it could not have been some poor kid sitting in the back of a rented rowboat dropped his only prized possession. I could just see some guy eight years ago building a garage in Egypt, ran out of money, and now he started a whole new theory about Ink Hapo Eitan. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for In Conversation, okay?